Well, this week we're honored to have uh, Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio on. And anybody who's been curious about the stuff we've been talking about on this show, who's been just on the Internet looking for it, I have no doubt they've come across Stefan's YouTube videos and uh, likely his, his website. And uh, he's joining us all the way from, uh, from Canada, I believe. Stefan, are you there? I certainly am. How are you guys doing? Good. Doing well. yeah, Stefan, what what's the, the website again that you have? Oh, it's uh, freedomainradio.com. All right. I'm going to get that up on my computer here at the same time so that we can uh, cross-reference you to make sure that we know that you are who you say you are. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it's him. I can tell There's him. nobody else who has quite the vaguely gay Tour of the Colonies accent that I do, so I'm pretty hard to often imitate it, never duplicate it. <laughs> right. Uh, I saw the Robert Murphy uh, roast of you at, at uh, Porkfest last year where he talked about your accent. I thought that was pretty funny. He's a funny guy. Yeah, he is. Um, to start off, uh, last week we were talking about um, we were talking about theft being wrong, and we had a caller who called in and he said, "Well, you know, theft is wrong, but how is the state going to function?" And um, <laughs> of course, you have you have uh, this thing. You have a whole YouTube video on it. And you you say it doesn't matter, right? And I was wondering if you could elaborate on that in regards to theft and murder and all these other things, if, if you could go through that argument with us. Sure. Uh, I have about eight, eight minutes, right? <laughs> okay. Look, I mean, there are things that we all accept in our own personal lives, that the initiation of force is wrong. If you want to get a job, you don't go and kidnap the kids of the guys who's hiring you and say, I will release them from the windowless van and take the chloroform napkins off their face if you give me the job. Uh, we, If we want to get uh, food, we don't consider it okay to go to a restaurant and bounce out of there. Uh, we don't like the um, you know, pump and dump way of getting gas by running away from without paying. So we all accept in our own lives that taking other people's property without their permission is wrong. And we all accept that um, initiating force is wrong. And so there's this radical philosophical notion called consistency, called integrity, called having one standard. Uh, you know, that old thing from Lord of the Rings, one ring shall rule them. And in philosophy, it's really one standard shall rule them. And so if it is wrong for us to initiate force and it is wrong for us to steal in our own personal lives, how do you create some magical reverse, upside-down, black-is-white, zebras-have-no-stripes bubble called the state where suddenly it's really good to do it? I mean, there's no way to justify it. You can't have a theory of physics that says, well, I can't fly, but if I put on this blue costume, you see, I can fly. <laughs> you don't change your physical properties when you put on costumes, whether they're policemen or uh, military costumes, and you don't change the moral properties of who you are and the moral laws that are... you. You, you need to be subjected to just because you call yourself the state. Uh, I don't get to um, uh, be able to go backwards in time if I put a little hat on with the word hippogriff. It just doesn't work that way, and it doesn't work that way in philosophy. So, But there's a lot that's embedded in what this guy said. Well, how's the state going to function if we don't let it steal? Well, first of all, of course, that's the end justifying the means, right? So if a good end occurs, then we can do all kinds of evil things to get there. Never works, never will work. Uh, it only works for particular individuals who have a bottomless hunger for power and aggression and, and, and politics and control. But uh, it doesn't work morally. The ends do not justify the means. I mean, that's like saying, well, if I cheat on a test and get a good score, the good score justifies the cheating. It doesn't really do that. But people like to believe that it does. The second thing, of course, is that when people tell me how will the state function without the capacity to steal from us, the idea that the state is functioning? Functioning? Are you kidding me? <laughs> to use the word the government and functional in the same sentence is is such a illogical mind frack that it turns your brain into a lower intestine helium tube map of the London subway kaleidoscrope. It's like a benign, so, it's like a benign cancer. Yeah, <laughs> benign. Benign, it, yeah, it doesn't work. Look, the, the massive debts, the, the conflicts, look at Europe, look at uh, America, look at Canada, where we have almost as high a per capita debt as Greece. That's not company you want to keep. Look at the <laughs> continual uh, economic and currency disasters in South America. Look at the Middle East, where you've got the repression of women and theocracies with Sharia law running around uh, yelling at women who don't dress head to toe in body scarves. I mean, you show me where it's working. Show me where this massive functionality is supposed to be taking case. When America has the highest per capita prisoners for nonviolent, non-crimes in the world, where the number of prisoners per capita 
uh, is almost approaching that of Stalinist Russia. Where is the functionality in that? Where you have public sector um, pensions underfunded to the point where they're going to go bankrupt in five to ten years and people are going to be left with neither their savings, which was taken them from them by force, nor any kind of remuneration from the state. Same thing is true of Social Security. What's going to happen when we run out of money for welfare? What's going to happen when we run out of money for Medicare and Medicaid? What's going to happen when a trillion dollars of student loans can't get paid back because higher education doesn't get the same kind of traction in the economy as it used to. You show me something anywhere that's working, and I will begin to accept that as a possibility. But um, so far, it really hasn't come across. Right. So even the even if you could uh, justify theft so that the state would, would function, you would have the, the non-functioning that we're seeing today. Yeah, theft works for the thief. That's why they steal. I mean, it's easier to co-steal an iPad than to work to buy to, to trade one or make one yourself. And of course, so theft works for the thief and the state works for politicians. It just doesn't happen to work for the rest of us livestock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's another uh, interesting theme that, that we've borrowed from you on this show is the, uh, the theme of farms. And uh, the farmer doesn't care if you, if you tattoo, you know, the state sucks on the side of the cow. Uh, you're still a cow and you're still on his farm. Um, it's just a matter of get, when you become a beef cow from a... From a milk, milk cow. cow, right. Yeah, the, uh, uh, the end, you know, they'll give us a little freedom. Like if, if, the, if the, um, the farmer's cows are too close together, they're banging their heads and they're not producing milk and they're getting stressed and having heart attacks, yeah, he'll space them further apart. He'll give them some more freedom. But that's not because he wants to set them free. It's because he wants more milk. We're given certain economic and political liberties, not because the next step is freedom, but because it makes us more productive and makes us uh, produce more milk for everybody else. Right. Um, on that note, uh, do, you want, do you want to talk about your uh, kind of view on the prospects for the potential for the elimination of the state? You have uh, kind of a different viewpoint on that than a lot of other uh, libertarian anarchist types. Yeah, I mean, it's it's inevitable. I mean, human society lurches and crashes its bellicose way towards consistency. I mean, if you look, say, 2,000 years ago, slavery was accepted, rape was pretty much accepted, uh, unprovoked invasions of other countries and the subjugation of its citizenry was pretty much accepted. And, uh, you know, massive class divisions between citizens and non-citizens, the, 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 the aristocracy and the proletariat and the, or the plebeians, was pretty much accepted. Uh, subjugation of women and slaves and, and forget about even thinking about rights for children. Uh, they weren't even remotely accepted. You know, slowly, in an ugly, gruesome fashion, uh, you know, it's like watching someone climb a, uh, a chainsaw blade with their teeth. They do get a get up, but it's kind of messy. Uh, we do slowly extend... The, the concept of personhood to slaves. And now we don't have explicit slavery anymore. We extend the concept of personhood to women. And as soon as we ex- uh, extend the concept of personhood to the state, then we say, okay, uh, as, Jefferson, as Jefferson said, uh, this truth is self-evident that all men are created equal. Uh, if we assume men means all people, then all we have to do is stop right there. If only the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence had stopped right there, all men are created equal. <clears throat> end of sentence, then we don't have a state, we don't need it. The extension of common humanity, the extension of moral rights, the extension of personhood is inevitably spreading. You know, sometimes it's like a spilt red paint of blood slowly spreading across a map, the way that it does spread, but it does slowly spread as long as people like us continue to make that effort to do so. Yeah, it's inevitable that we're going to wake up one day and we're going to go, whoa, this is immoral, it is non-functional, it continually destroys societies. And it only creates wealth in order to further pillage society, to use the the increased wealth of political and economic freedom as collateral to borrow more and bribe more. And people will wake up to this and we will move past this ridiculous notion of statism in the same way we move past the ridiculous notion of slavery and the subjugation of women and the amorality of rape and so on. And, you know, for a lot of people, you know, beating kids was a big deal in the past, right? And the rule of thumb used to be that you couldn't beat your wife with any stick larger than the width of your thumb. And now that's changed. And we don't accept wife beating anymore. People are beginning to wake up to not hitting children. Uh, And so, yeah, slowly, painfully, you know, and it's slow, slow and painful because so many people have a bad conscience. They don't want to accept the truth and move on to a higher state of morality. But, you know, we'll get there. It's (laughs) I don't think it's in our lifetime, but we will get there. Yeah, it's almost uh, generational if you talk about it from that perspective, mm-hmm. uh, which, which, of course, it has been historically anyway, especially with uh, things like abolition of slavery that took a very, very long time before that idea really gained traction. Even though it was yeah, did you, guys, uh, did you guys watch South Park at all? Yeah. <laughs> well, so recently there was, I didn't watch it, but there, somebody told me there was a South Park episode where they mocked the idea of no government. 
What an incredibly fantastic and wonderful thing that it's even something, they don't mock the concept of slavery anymore because that's just a commonly accepted thing, right? Right. What's that old statement? I think it was Gandhi. He said, first they, they, they laugh at you, then they attack you. Uh, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they attack you, and then you win. So we're at the stage now of being attacked. It's no longer a loony crank idea. It's actually something where people will sit down and make the effort to mock it and to repudiate it. Not rationally, of course. It was all just silly nonsense. But, but that's fantastic. A mainstream show is introducing the idea that there is an idea called no state. I mean, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. They wouldn't if they really thought it was an illegitimate idea. They wouldn't feel the uh, the need to go to the lengths to. Uh, yeah, you're not going to do half a show on the flat Earth Society, right? I mean, but you're going to do half a show if you feel that this is somehow in the air. And the first defense of all conservatives, and a lot of comics are very conservative. The first defense is simply mockery. You see that on the Daily Show all the time. Like he's called a socialist, and he just mocks people. You know, he admits to being a socialist, and he just mocks people. John Stewart. That's not the same as a rational argument. It's entertaining away people's anxiety about contradictory ideas. But it's a huge, fantastic thing. Like, I, I've hosted the Peter Schiff show now twice. I'm going to host it on Monday and Tuesday. I'm an out-and-out, uh, A-word. <laughs> I'm an out-and-out <laughs> voluntarist, uh, anarchist. Um, yeah. Some people have called me another A-word, but that's uh, perhaps not something for a family-friendly show. But, I mean, it's amazing that, that this is even possible. Uh, I'm going to be speaking in Brazil uh, on this topic. Uh, I'm going to be speaking on the West Coast. Uh, I'm going to be speaking in, uh, uh, in Las Vegas and, and uh, Dallas and all these kinds of things. I mean, it really is quite amazing the degree to which, well, of course, the Internet is making all this possible, but the degree to which you can actually even have a conversation like this is, is really amazing. It's astounding progress in just a couple of years. Sure. Yeah, it's getting to the point where you run into people who self-identify as anarcho-capitalists or voluntarists, and it's it's kind of weird just from a few years ago to today. You know, you bump into somebody on the street and you're wearing like a Mises.org shirt or something. They're like, oh, get Rothbard. Yeah, I love For New Liberty or whatever. Well, actually, sorry, just to be more precise, I self-identify as an arachno-capitalist, which ma I mean the spiders should be our main currency, uh, and so I just wanted to... To mention that the spiders are a great currency because um, so many people are scared of them that it's it's easy to hoard and people won't steal the spiders right so the the C note obviously should be a black widow pickpockets ain't gonna go into your pickpocket like I'm gonna pick your pocket if you've got a black widow spider in there especially if it's got eggs and all that vermin baby spiders all over it and so on so um, I just really wanted to be uh, precise uh, about that. Uh, Arachno capitalism. Got it. <laughs> Got it. We'll write that one down. We'll have a title for today's show, right there. Arachno capitalism. Um, uh, one of uh, my favorite arguments that you've made that I've found to be uh, quite powerful, especially in uh, personal relationships, is the against me argument. And um, that, uh, you know, bringing the abstract into the into the personal. Uh, makes a lot of people very uncomfortable. Could you uh, talk about that for a little bit? Sure. I mean, this is um, one of my first speeches was in 2009 at the New Hampshire Liberty Festival. I was the closing speaker, and this is where I introduced the argument. I've talked about it in podcasts before. Look, the more that violence is abstracted and invisible to people, the more they're going to be able to support it because they cannot see it for what it is. And there's a story that I heard um, when I was speaking in Phoenix a while back about the difference between an infantryman and a bomber pilot, right? So the, the, in World War II, there was this bomber pilot who used to get together with his pals every year or you know, a couple of times a year, and they'd reminisce and they'd drink and play darts and all that. But the infantrymen never did that. They never got together with their pals. They never talked about it. And the reason for that, you know, somebody asked this, this airman, this pilot, and said, well, what's the difference? He said, well, the difference is that it was a different war for us, because for us, we would pull a lever and all we'd see on the ground are these little puffs of smoke. But these guys, they actually put bayonets through people's heads. You know, they actually blew people away at close range. They saw limbs, they saw blood, they got showered with intestines. I mean, they saw what war really is. We just saw little puffs of smoke. So for us, it's like not that traumatic, but for the infantrymen, they don't ever want to go back there mentally. And this is the difference, right? The state turns coercion into little puffs of smoke. You say, oh, well, I'm against drug use. Well, if you're against drug use, would you be willing to actually kidnap and imprison somebody for using drugs, like your neighbor or, or a co-worker or a brother or whatever? And if the answer is no, then you shouldn't support other people doing it, right? I mean, if you're not willing to do the dirty, ugly, wet work of violent enforcements of your edicts, if you're not willing to do that, then you should not be at all involved in that. And 
uh, if if when when I talk to people about taxation, and I just had a, a debate with uh, Jake Diliberto, where he was like, uh, "Oh, I'm in favor of the draft." It's like, okay, well, what that means is that uh, you will uh, take a gun to my daughter's head, and you will make her obey your edicts. And if she doesn't agree and resists uh, in a self-defense manner, you're willing to pull the trigger and shoot her. That's what it means to say, "I wish to pass a law that everyone must obey." Um, there's all these euphemisms, right? The social contract, uh, the law, uh, being a good citizen, uh, obeying the state, uh, peace, uh, order, and good government, and so on. And the, the reason that you need these euphemisms, uh, you don't need a euphemism for chocolate. I mean, it, it's just chocolate. You don't need a euphemism for a steak. You don't need a euphemism for a house. It's just a house. But you need a euphemism for that which is morally vile to you. And so we call it extraordinary rendition, not shipped out torture. Uh, and so, um, and so we call all of these things like, well, I'm in favor of the draft because the draft gets the citizens involved in, in the wars. And so being in favor in the draft sounds, I guess, like a really abstract thing. But if you look at the mechanics, at the reality of what you're talking about, well, you're talking about certain groups of people, a particular group of, of people in society called the state, having the legal obligation to initiate the use of force against other people who refuse to pick up weapons and shoot at whoever they point at. Uh, so shoot this guy or I'll shoot you. This is not morality. This is not ethics. This is a scene from a Tarantino film where one guy's got a gun against the other guy's head saying, pull the trigger or I'm blowing your skull across the room. The, the violence of statism is something that is already is, is always abstracted. Right, so I was having a conversation once with a listener about the Iraq war, and she was like, well, I, this is way back. Right? I support the surge, she said. And I mean, that sounds fine. You support the surge. You know, it sounds like you're in favor of tides. I don't know. <laughs> but, but the reality is, is that I disagree with the whole war. And if you want to send money to these people, uh, I will not forcibly stop you because that's the initiation of force. But you surely will allow me to follow my conscience and not, use, not support the use of force against me for disagreeing. So people say, well, I'm for the welfare state. Great. Send them a damn check. If you want 80%... If your charity money to go to middle-class, white, fat bureaucrats, fine. If you want people to be trapped in a permanent underclass and go to crappy schools and have little opportunity and live in terrible neighborhoods entirely run by government welfare and government schools and government housing and government streets, then fine. If you want to do that, I think it's horrible. I think it's wrong, but it's not the initiation force if you want to send money to those people. I find the whole system vile, disgusting, and hideous, and I came out of a very poor neighborhood and a very poor family, so I know a little bit about what I, of, of what I speak, then you have to allow me the right, the freedom to follow my own conscience, and you damn well cannot morally initiate the use of force against me for disagreeing with you about how the poor should be helped. Are you willing to reject the use of violence against me? If people are willing to do that, fantastic. We kiss on the cheeks, we are brothers, and we go off and do a Cossack dance together. If they're not willing to reject the use of force against me, then we part as enemies. I mean, because these people want guns waved in my direction for disagreeing with their unfounded opinions. And that is not something that I will countenance in my life. Yeah, it's, that almost comes down to a self-respect thing. You know, how if you respect yourself, how can you hang around with people who want you locked in a cage for having a difference of opinion with you? Yeah, I'm not going to take a bouquet of flowers from a guy who wants to rape me. I'm not going to pretend that somebody who's relying on the use of force is engaged in any kind of civilized debate. It's not. I mean, you're just threatening me with force. Then fine, I'm not going to pretend to debate you because it comes down to a gun. So I'm not going to give it the veneer of a civilized interaction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as you've uh, pointed out, the state doesn't exist. There's just people with guns. And when you mm -hmm. boil it down to that, um, all the cutesy little abstract language, all the euphemism... Um, kind of melts away and you're left with a, a very different reality. Okay, yeah, one day, if, sorry, one day if I get enough donations, I'm going to make a movie called The Statrix. Statrix. <laughs> hey, uh, Stefan, I'm Steve. I've got a question for you here. And sure. just, in my own mind, I'm trying to determine if there really is a difference at all between the mafia and the way they go and extort people for money and saying, hey, look, you pay us a protection fee or we're going to break your legs, and, and the state and the issue of taxation. Because in, lately... It's like I've had a shift in my mind. Somebody came in and scrambled the eggs up in there, and I, 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 I don't see a difference. Am well, I, I think there are, yeah, I mean, I think there are some differences. Um, the mafia does not rely on propaganda. 
right? The state relies on propaganda. So if, if, you know, this shifty Joe Pesci character comes into your store and says, you know, be a nice store you got here. Be a real shame if something happened to it, man. You know, you got to give me some cash or who knows what a barrel of uh, fiery gasoline might come through your front window. Who knows from where, man? Well, they're not appealing to propaganda. They're not saying be patriotic. They're not saying be loyal. They're not saying be a good citizen. They're just saying uh, pay us money or we'll trash your store. Uh, so, so they're more honest uh, as, as far as that goes. I think that's, that's a significant <laughs> yeah. advantage. Okay. Um, so, and also the, the mafia won't take, won't take your children for 12 or 13 years, uh, cage them up for six hours a day and tell them how wonderfully moral the mafia is. And without the mafia, uh, the, you know, the society would just be a, a burning wasteland of anarchic hell. Uh, and so there's much less propaganda. In fact, there's almost no propaganda. Uh, in the uh, in the mafia. So from that standpoint there, and of course the mafia is really a shadow of the state. The mafia relies on the government to ban certain activities, which raises the price for what the mafia provides. So if the, if the government bans gambling, what do you know? It then becomes very profitable for the mafia to supply gambling or prostitution or drugs or, you know, cigarettes sometimes or, you know, in the, uh, of course the prohibition in the U.S. is what brought the mafia over to begin with. There was no mafia beforehand. And of course there was no drug wars in the whole 19th century when uh, any kid could go in and buy cocaine in the form of Coca-Cola for a couple of pennies at a drugstore. So uh, so the, the, the mafia relies upon the government but the mafia is a much less successful government because the mafia can't legitimately control the minds of the children to train them about how wonderful and great and necessary and virtuous and good the, the mafia is. The mafia is simply the shadow uh, of, uh, of the government. And so, and of course, you know, you say, well, why, why is it so hard to legalize drugs? Well, it's so hard to legalize drugs because the mafia will kill any politician, I'm sure, who is actually going to go and legalize drugs. And everybody's pretty aware of this. I mean, that if you cut into the profits of the mafia to that degree, then, um, I mean, your life isn't worth anything, right? Accidents can happen to your children. Uh, accidents can happen to your friends. Accidents can happen to you. It really doesn't matter what kind of protection you have. But, um, you know, they've invited this wolf into the house, and now there's not much uh, chance to get out of it. I think another difference between the mafia and the state is as long as you're paying the mafia, they'll leave you alone. Whereas the state, you can pay them as much as they steal from you, and they still won't leave you alone. <laughs> Yeah, and the, and the mafia doesn't, doesn't, doesn't take your money in order to bribe other people, right? I mean, they just take it for themselves. Or the government uh, steals from the unborn, and it steals from the productive in order to bribe all of those who become dependent on it. And that's a very different, uh, different situation. Yeah. And um, you can move away from the mafia. Right, they have right? limited I mean, jurisdiction. You can move away from the mafia. I mean, if you go to some small town in the U.S., uh, it's not worth it for the mafia to set up there, so... You can move away from the mafia, uh, but you can't move away from the state. All you can do, all you can say is, "Oh, well, I guess I could leave this cage in the zoo, but the only other place I can go is to another cage in the zoo." So, really, what's the point? And now they're trying to extend the chains past the cage. Yeah, in the case of the U.S., they claim that the uh, the zoo is the entire world. That's right. So. If you leave, uh, then they can hit you for tax evasion, even if you haven't paid those taxes yet and they're not being assessed against you yet. And they will then hit you with the taxes and bar you from reentry. Which, you know, the only thing that's positive about that is finally we have an answer that's real clear, even to the most blind, to the people who say, love it or leave it. I can't. I can't <laughs> leave it, so I can't love it. That's right. Um, do you want to hold for the second half hour? We'll take some calls. Love Here to. You Wonderful. Thank you very much. We've got uh, Stefan Molyneux from the freedomainradio.com on the air with us. If you'd like to call in and be a part of the show, the number is 458-TALK. If you're outside of the Fairbanks area, tack on a 907 first. 458-TALK. That's 458-255. You can also join us online at kfar660.com. We'll be right back after the Fox News here on KFAR Local Talk Radio. Don't touch that dial. Fox News is here on KFAR. Fox News Radio. I'm Paul Stevens. First, a life sentence, then a hospital trip for former Egyptian President Hosni Mubarak. Egyptian state media says Mubarak's had a heart attack while on his way to serve a life sentence for his involvement in the killing of up to 900 protesters. But not everyone is happy with scuffles in and outside the courts. People are angry that Mubarak didn't get the death penalty. Fox Radio's Emily Wither in Jerusalem. Protesters gathering at this hour in Cairo's Tahrir Square. Defense Secretary Leon Panetta in Singapore announced 
announcing 60% of U.S. naval assets will now stand in Pacific ports. Connecticut Senator Joseph Lieberman also at that conference. We don't want an open conflict with China, but we also cannot allow them to think that uh, they can uh, take advantage of us. Secretary Panetta also saying China and the U.S. must learn to work together on a better mode. Fox News, we report, you decide. Local Talk Radio, KFAR, with a clear perspective on what's going on in the world, whether it's overseas. Saturday morning wake-up call right here on KFAR. I am Steve Floyd, the person who basically pushes the buttons, and that's all. I'm, you know what? If I haven't pushed your button yet today, then let me know how I can do so. I'd be happy to do it. Uh, joining us in the studio is one of our local arachno-capitalists, actually an anarcho-capitalist, is uh, Dave Diesel. And then uh, from Bighorn Enterprise, a capitalist in the flesh, he's the one who pays the bills to make sure that this stays on the air, along with uh, Foreign North Tactical, his brother's shop. This is Josh Bennett. Good morning, Josh. Good morning, Steve. And on the phone with us right now, we've got Stefan Molyneux from the freedomainradio.com. Good morning, sir. You're still with us. I sure am. I just also wanted to mention the arachno-capitalist uses the web to catch his prey. Uh, I'm a freedom oh, nice. oh, come on. That was just, I, I spent the whole time yeah. thinking of a good joke about spiders. All right, That's all I could come up with. What do you think of a phone call or two, Stefan? Yeah, that'd be great. All right, 458-TALK is the number. Good morning, caller. You are on the air. Who's this? This is Randy. Randy, go ahead. Um, I agree with a lot of the sentiment that's being talked. You know, uh, government can become terribly tyrannical and destructive. Um but I do believe that we do need government. I do believe it's a tool, a necessary tool, just like a fire is a tool but has the potential for terrible, grievous damage, and water is a tool. But, you know, if a dam breaks, you know, it can kill thousands of people. It's a terrible thing. But basically the purpose of government is for the protection of enemies, both foreign and domestic. And as I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago or so, uh, the Swiss family Robinson, you know, they had that new island country called uh, New Switzerland, and uh, I mentioned then that I was in favor of an anarchy system, you know, no government, because it was not necessary, just them and their treehouse, and if they had a few other families that came by, it still may not be necessary, and that would be the best thing, but the only trouble is if they had many, many families, and then pirates, as you remember, pirates landed, and they were able to take care of those pirates that first time, but if you had a whole nation of pirates coming, eventually they've got to pool their resources and coordinate and form an army, and uh, and that's where the necessity of government comes in. And and hopefully, you know, everyone would want to contribute uh, to the army to fend off the pirates or the invading nation. Um, but uh, basically, you have to have coordination, and I think government then becomes necessary to uh, to to do that. So that's how I feel about it. Right, Stefan, how would you answer that? Well, I mean. Let's say that you wish to have protection against theft and aggression. Uh, well, I don't see how setting up a monopoly of violence that has the right to take your property at will and force you to obey its edicts as well, uh, at will is really solving the problem of protection from, uh, from violence. Uh, remember, the government initiates force against citizens. And, even if you, um, and so you can't solve the problem of being subjected to arbitrary force by creating a monopoly on arbitrary force that can su subject you to its will uh, whenever it wants. But let's say, let's say that, that you like that and I don't. Well, that's fine. Then what you can do in a free society is you can sign a contract with a couple of guys to say, hey, uh, you guys, I'm going to disarm myself. You can have all the guns. I'm going to fund all the guns for you. Anytime you need my property, you can come over and take it. And if I resist you, you can shoot me. And you can set up these rules. You're going to mail me, email me these rules every month. They're going to change continually. There's going to be hundreds of thousands of them within a couple of years. And if I disobey any of those rules, then you can come uh, in a van and you can take me away and you can lock me for a pretty arbitrary amount of time in some cage. Uh, if you want to set up that contract, I don't think anybody would. But if you wanted to set up that contract with an agency and call it the government in a free society, you could. You couldn't bind me to it any more than I can bind you to my my contracts, and you sure as heck couldn't bind my kids or your kids to the choices that you're making. So if you want to sign that contract in a free society, by all means, go go ahead, but you can't bind other people to it. Well, you are right. There is the element in, in even the most minimal amount of 
uh, coercive taxation, which I do support, but there, I see the element of wrongness in that, and I admit that, but I'm willing to accept that small element of wrongness to avoid a greater element of wrongness, because if the pirates take over our island and, and, and subject us all to a dictatorship, uh, that also is a coercive situation, but it's a far greater coercive situation than the one that we were willing to tolerate, and so I'm willing to tolerate some uh, forceful taxation to avoid even greater communistic forceful taxation, which would inevitably come because the fact is there's evil, horrible people all over the world, and we've got to fend ourselves from those people. Yes, but my friend, where do you think those evil and horrible people, are, which are also in your society, of course, as I'm sure we're aware, where do you think the most intelligent evil people are going to go in society if there's a government? Where do you think they're going to try and do their most harm? Well, you're right, just like Hitler quickly found the best place for him was at the top of the Reichstag. Yeah, he tried, you know, yeah, he tried to have a revolution and it failed, uh, the, the beer hall putsch. Uh, he was thrown in jail and then he came out and said, no, 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 the way that we get power is we take over the government. We don't have a revolution, we go in democratically. And this is the case with all demagogues throughout history. And if you look at history, of course, you can very clearly see that the United States was an experiment in the very smallest conceivable government at the time. And really the very smallest government that has ever been conceived of. Uh, and uh, what happened? Well, we now, out of that process, have the very largest and most powerful government the world has ever seen. It never stays small. The illusion that you can create a monopoly of force and then some, somehow manage it with checkbox and ballots and, and speeches and, and blog articles from outside is a delusion. The moment you put that cancer in, it begins to grow. And there's just no way to ever prevent it from growing. This is the case with all societies throughout history. They start with maybe a little bit of freedom, uh, like the Roman Empire, uh, like the British uh, Empire. In their birth, they were relatively free societies. And that relative freedom created a huge amount of wealth or allowed for the creation through trade of a huge amount of wealth. The government then looked at all that wealth in society, but now I can tax like crazy. Now I can use this as collateral. Now my tax receipts can go up and up and people will live with it because I'm not taking away the bread from their mouths. And so small governments inevitably lead to bigger governments. The smaller the cancer starts, the larger it ends up. There's just no way to keep it small. Stefan, real briefly, before we let Randy go, I'd like you to respond to basically his moral position that he is willing to accept a certain amount of... Mm. Oh, I think I lost you. Murder. Yeah. yeah how, how do you, How do you address that? That he's willing to accept a, a small amount of violence. Yeah. Well, let's um, let's take it to the sexual realm, shall we? <laughs> Okay, so if, uh, if you're really into having uh, people clamp clothes pegs on your nipples, uh, then go for it. Um, it's not my particular cup of tea, <laughs> but if you really like that, then go for it. But that doesn't give you the right to clamp your clothes pegs on my nipples. That's really so if you want to if you if you feel that there's some advantage to you in surrendering your your rights to to live without the initiation of force against you, uh, you can do that if you want sign whatever contracts you want. But you don't have the right to bond other people. Of course, people can gather together for self-defense without uh, a state. I mean, look at look at Iraq. I mean, this was a non-state ragtag army as was, of course, the American revolutionaries. Again, we take the ethics out of it, just look at the military strategy, and they won against uh, the biggest and most powerful military the world has ever seen. Look at Afghanistan. Yeah, the Mujahideen, they took down... Yeah, you take down years, a 25... All the way back to Alexander the Greek. They've never conquered the Afghani people, ever. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the Mujahideen in the 90s, you had people taking out $25 million MiG airplanes with a $40,000 missile. I mean, the economics of that doesn't take too long to add up. The war by attrition uh, is always very powerful. You don't need a state to defend your land, even if you look at something as completely lopsided as the uh, Iraqi insurgents versus the incredible might of the U.S. military. They still won. All right, let's go on to the next call. 458-TALK is the number. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Who's this? Morning. Hey, who is this? This is Trevor. Hey, Trevor, guys. good. What's on your mind? I uh, wanted to comment a little bit about the last caller's example of ideal government being the Swiss family Robinson. And uh, I was remembering some political problems that I was given by my teacher back in high school. And it's the the threat of logic that you eventually come to is that the ideal government is the benevolent benevolent dictatorship. And uh, it always wound up being that uh, you were happy with the government as long as the benevolent dictatorship was doing what made you happy. <laughs> the second you were somebody that the benevolent dictatorship was using as the excuse to stay in power, you know, all of a sudden 
the government was no longer okay because it was no longer something that agreed with you. It, it's the same thing as saying that you'll take a little bit of evil from your government to smother other governments from doing evil to that other people. And it's it's pointing out the stick in someone's eye and missing the log in yours. Excellent. I guess this is another good analogy for it. Because if we can't clean up our own government, and let's face it, there's a lot of people that uh, need to face some trials for treason right now. Um, if we cannot clean up our own government and demand a moral government or people that will regulate their own self-behavior, how in the heck are we the ones to even think that we should tell the rest of the world how to do it? Yeah, and it also, you know, in addition to that, it creates a race to the bottom of morality. It's like, well, if they're going to be, you know, dirty to the nth degree, you know, we need to be dirty to just a slightly lesser degree so we can yeah. so we can uh, beat them, you know, and then, oh, oh you know, they're even dirtier now. So now we're, now we're going to pass the NDAA and the Patriot Act, but we have to because they're even worse. And uh, that's yeah, it's just a total race to the bottom. It's like little kids, you know. Um, he hit me. Well, or you hit him. Well, he hit me first. You know, it just evolves. It's uh, somebody's got to take the moral high ground at some point. Well, and do you know what the murder capital of the United States is? D.C. Yeah, D.C. Yeah. The, the murder capital of the U.S. is D.C. They think they can go to Iraq and fix a society. How about looking out the damn windows of the capital to fix the society where you have complete control over? <laughs> Of course, well, they don't want to do that. Look, where are the worst performing schools is in Washington, D.C. The, 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 the biggest disparity between rich and poor is in Washington, D.C. You know, fix what's right outside your window. Maybe then people will accept that you can fix things, you know, a stone's throw from your window and then a mile and then two. And then, you know, maybe in a thousand years, you'll end up in Iraq. I, I'm not sure they even have the intention of fixing things, though. I mean, no, if, no, you, if no, you look at it historically speaking, isn't it usually they use the threat of outside violence to get people ginned up to, to, to the idea, well, let's, let's give more of our tax money to go and join the fight, let's, let's send our children off to, to be cannon fodder? I mean, isn't that the, the whole point of it? And whatever works to keep the public opinion high on the war is what's going to keep the war going? <laughs> Well, and people say that uh, we will go over to Iraq and we will blow up all of these innocent civilians because their ruler is really bad. And of course, Saddam Hussein was a complete psycho monster, an evil guy to the nth degree. But I still don't think we have the right to decide who's going to live and die uh, uh, fighting the state, fighting their state. I mean, these are from people uh, who won't stop paying taxes uh, because they don't want to get even uh, a summons from the IRS. And yet they want to go and um, blow up other people for the sake of their freedom. No, if you want to take a stand in your own country, I don't recommend doing anything illegal. But if you want to, then at least you gain some credibility, but they won't even do that. So it's all nonsense. Hey, Trevor, thanks for the call. Uh, Stefan, you just hit on something there that I think you know, ties back to what you were saying to Randy about the idea of sticking clothespins on nipples. In a sense, <laughs> the people that lived under Saddam Hussein, they, if they didn't like it, they could have changed it, Right. Most people will choose to live under evil than die fighting it. I mean, if you look at the Russian example, there was no revolution that came from within. Uh, look at the Chinese example. There was Chinese communism. Uh, these killed tens of millions of people apiece, uh, slaughtered and murdered. The people did not rise up from within. They choose to live under the gun. They choose to be like mammals at the feet of dinosaurs. They stay underground. They stay low. They stay close to their families. They have their kids. They go to their job and they talk under the covers uh, with their wives. So that's how they choose to live under evil. And that is the vast majority of people. And we don't have the right to decide that other people should die for the sake of a freedom, which never quite seems to be granted anyway. Uh, and uh, yet this is a myth that we said. We're going to go bomb the hell out of these civilians and kill, what is it, close to a million Iraqis and displace millions more uh, to get rid of Saddam Hussein. But that was not their choice. What they wanted to do was to live under that evil, where the vast majority of them were not uh, going to be um, incarcerated and raped in the same way, because the majority of them had nothing to do with politics. They just, you know, were good little livestock and did whatever they wanted. And I'm sure that's the decision that I would take if I were in that situation. I would not choose to have bombs come raining down upon me and liberate me from my life. Well, what if the Chinese decided to liberate us from uh, President Obama? Would the, would yeah. the Republicans get excited about that? Yay, we're being liberated! Well, all, all they have to do to do that is stop lending us money. You know, like, the U.S. got this funny thing. The U.S. has this funny thing where they're trying to give guarantees to Taiwan against Chinese aggression. The only way they're going to do that is they go and borrow money from the Chinese 
<laughs> to put weapons uh, on the border against the Chinese. Listen, can you lend me some money so I can put some fuel in the tanks? I'm going to point at you with that. I mean, this is how ludicrous our system has become. In the middle of a sentence when you are cut out on us. And the FBI decides- oh, I was just pointing out how uh, America is, tr- is guaranteeing uh, Taiwanese borders against the Chinese. And the only way that America is going to be able to afford to do that is if they go and borrow the money from China to put the uh, gasoline in the tanks to point at China. I mean, this is how ludicrous our system has become. It's like a mugger coming up and saying, listen, can you lend me a gun so I can rob you? I mean, this is just how crazy our system has become. And it's hard to see because we're so propagandized. It is, uh, it is nice to view it that way, though, because you see the victory of uh, economics and economic law over um, politics and propaganda in the long run. Yes. Yeah, as yes, a result of that. So. All right, uh, Stefan, I'm going to try to take another phone call. If for some reason I manage to hit the wrong button, please call back. Okay. All right. Aaron Bennett, is that you? Yep. All right, go ahead. What were you about to say? I was going to say that it's funny that the caller used uh, Switzerland as their example since... Uh, because under the Austrian occupation of Switzerland, you had the rise of William Hill, who used a top-down strategy of killing the highest officers and on down in a militia-type movement. And Switzerland never moved away from that again and never made a centralized um, military and used a non-aggression policy and um, decentralized their military and kept it that way. And if you look at a top view of uh, the old world and put it on fast forward, you'll see wars of aggression on a mass scale going on all over the old world, except for one country, and that's Switzerland. They stayed neutral through unbelievable times of decimation, World War One, World War Two. You see all this aggression going on, and nobody touches them. Uh, in Nazi Germany, anything that was Swiss was banned. Uh, Swiss Family Robinson was banned as a play. You weren't allowed to put that play on during Hitler's rule. Any Swiss propaganda was banned because of their ideology is so far removed from a statist ideology. Hitler didn't even want any of that concept to be allowed in Nazi Germany. So to use Switzerland as your example of statism, yeah, I think it's a very bad example. You know, um, I was in Switzerland a couple of years ago, and um, I was in London for about a week, and then I flew over to Switzerland. And if you go through London, there's whole areas of the city that are new construction from 1945 onward. And if you go into Switzerland, there's no 1945-plus um, like discrete neighborhoods where this is all new after 1944. And, of course, that's because the Swiss did not get bombed out because they didn't participate in the wars and they were not invaded. Um, What's considered to be the freest nation in the world? Yeah, by, by many metrics, uh, Switzerland is, is up there, certainly. Yeah, if you have a free society and there's wars around, everyone's going to ship their gold to your free society just as they do to Switzerland, and no one's going to invade you. They were 300 years right in the middle of Europe through the wars of the Reformation, through, as you say, the First World War, the Crimean War, the Second World War, uh, everything that's been going on ever since. Uh, they've armed their citizens, right? You actually have to have a gun in Switzerland, and uh, they don't get invaded. Um, they are the um, the safe harbor for everyone's illicit uh, uh, sort of war booty. And so, yeah, I think it's a great example of how you don't need uh, that kind of involvement to to have any kind of protection or defense. I, All right, guys, I'm going to jump thanks, on. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate the call. I wonder, in terms of uh, here in Alaska, is there a possibility of developing that kind of society here in Alaska, or are we pretty much just doomed to be the colony forever? Well, the uh, the only focused attempt on anything besides the status quo is the AIP, of course, Alaska Independence Party, who believes in independence for Alaska so they can set up their own socialist state here where everyone <laughs> owns the resources. Right? Right. That's so like right. socialism on a slightly smaller scale. So I, I don't know. I'm not holding my breath on that one, Steve. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> just throwing that out. Thanks, I don't think I need to add anything. I think you talked yourself in and out of something right there. I just watched that go by. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, Dave is trying to talk me out of it, but I, I still hold on to the idea, though, that somehow, I, and I, I don't know, it, I, I don't like the idea of the Alaska Independence Party uh, in the socialism that they project. I, but, but I don't know. I mean, how, how do you get freedom for people who are so accustomed to being in a corral? I think it, it's based on consent. And, uh, you know, we're talking about voting with your mind. People talk about voting with their feet. If you don't decide something is wrong, uh, then no one's ever going to act on it being wrong. Mm-hmm. And we're, 
we're, we're talking about a lot of a lot of times on this show we talk about changing your actions. You know, if something's wrong, do something about it. But most people out there don't believe uh, that theft is wrong. You know, we get a bunch of callers. Well, how's the state going to fund itself? It has to steal a little bit. So if we can't even get to the point where people believe certain things are wrong, mm. like theft and murder and conscription and all these things, how are we going to get to the point where they're acting on a belief that it's wrong? They have to believe it's wrong first. And we were a long ways from that. Well, and I think people reject the truth for social reasons, not for philosophical reasons, right? There's a, somebody came up with a funny tagline for my show, Free Domain Radio, creating uncomfortable dinner silences since 2005. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and it's true, right? So look, if, if you accept that taxation is theft and your sister-in-law <laughs> happens to be a schoolteacher, well, how's Thanksgiving dinner going to go? I mean, I really think that people making their decisions based upon social ease and, mm-hmm. and, and comfort and, and the, you know, not confronting people who are um, on the other side of the moral divide. I mean, if you don't ever notice it or see it or bring it up, it kind of is like it's not there. It's there, but it's just like it's not there. And so I think that people, what they do is when they hear an idea that's going to challenge their social circles, is going to challenge their personal relationships, it goes through this little processor which says, you know, beep, 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 beep. Okay, so it's minus, fifth, minus 500 points for social discomfort. What will it achieve? Beep, 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 beep. Zero points of actual change in society. And they did this little calculus and mm-hmm. say, well, why would I then want to accept these beliefs, which is going to be uncomfortable for my work environment, it's going to be uncomfortable for my social environment, my family and friends and, and my, my clergy parishioners and so on. And they're going to say, well, what's the upside and what's the downside? And if they're going to make the calculation based on some sort of pragmatic thing, it makes no sense. I mean, if, if you're a crazy, consistent, moral idealist, then you do it damn well because it's the right thing. And, you know, though the heavens should fall, we must do the right thing. But if you make a pragmatic calculus decision on the pluses and minuses, I mean, you're just going to, you know, go to your happy place until the libertarian stops talking. <laughs> Well, it, it, you tie into that, the, the illustration that you give of the farmer and the livestock and how the farmer doesn't care if you've got a tattoo on the, or, or a, a brand on the side of your, your hide that says the government sucks as long as you are still living within the society. I, I, all these people that I hear talking, libertarian talk here in Fairbanks, are the people that call into the show and, and agree that taxation is wrong. Well, they still pay their taxes. And they still advocate for government programs well even uh, even more than that they're still participating in the system right um, there's another the first video I ever watched of Stefan's was probably uh, three or four years ago and it was the one where you were you were making an appeal to people if they respect themselves how can they vote and I don't you know tell people what to do if people want to vote that's their decision or whatever but uh, that really struck me if you respect yourself if you believe that you own yourself um, how can you vote for somebody else to tell you what to do? Yeah. Yeah, and look, I also wanted to differentiate. I think, I think paying your taxes is different morally from supporting government programs because paying your taxes is they'll throw you in a cage if you don't unless you want to go live in the woods. And then you abandon the social discourse and leave the marketplace of ideas open to the worst elements. So I think there's a good strong case to be made for, you know, pay the bastards off and then go speak truth to power. Uh, and I think that's, you know, I, I can respect a guy who stays in the mafia neighborhood and pays off the mafia as long as he's not saying, those mafia guys are great. You know, so, so I think supporting government programs is something which you're not going to get punished for not doing, whereas the amount of force that's applied against people who don't pay their taxes, I think, takes the moral equation out. Like the moment the gun comes into the room, the morality goes out the window. And so I don't blame people for, uh, you know, taking money from the government since the government's already taken so much money from them. Uh, I, you know, when they're in a situation of force, I'm not going to judge them morally. But when it comes to voluntarily praising, you know, these blood-soaked overlords, well, I think that's a different matter entirely. Once they've been made aware of the truth, right? I mean, I don't, morality is kind of like technology. We don't blame um, William Shakespeare for not using an iPad because he just, you know, wasn't there. And so once people understand the ethical argument and they've had some time to adjust to it, then I think they gain a moral responsibility that they haven't had before. And so you can't prescribe a medicine if you've never even heard of it, if you're a doctor. But once you've heard of it and you've tested it and you know it, then you kind of have a responsibility to, to prescribe it if it's the right thing. So bringing moral arguments actually creates, I think, a moral choice for people that they really don't have before. They're so heavily propagandized. So and I think that's another reason why people don't want to hear those moral arguments. Like, don't make me responsible for this choice. Don't give me a choice. I just want to stay in the matrix. And that, you know, stay in the matrix, though, I mean, how do you get people out of the matrix if you're, if you're telling them to stay in the matrix and, and speak truth to power? I mean, how can you... How can no, you the ma- sorry, the matrix, is, the matrix yeah, is not the state. The matrix is the propaganda. 
right? So you can, uh, you know, I, I pay my taxes. I obey the law. But I recognize that it's an immoral situation, and I speak out against it. Uh, so the, the matrix is the propaganda. It's not the, the violence that we're surrounded by. Because once you see the violence that you're surrounded by, then you're out of the matrix. And then you can make whatever decisions you want. You want to go live in the woods? Go live in the woods. You want to pay your taxes? Pay your taxes. But as long as you see that there's a gun in the room that is really driving these decisions, then you're out of the matrix. At least that's the way I would use the metaphor. Right. You're basically using self-defense. You pay your taxes out of self-defense, what it is. Yeah, and because there are no death. options, right? There, if right. you go live in the woods, you're not free of the state because you're living yeah. in the woods because there's a state. I mean, who would want to live in the woods? Right? <laughs> Dan Haggerty and, uh, you know, three guys on the run. Uh, so you don't escape the state by living. There is no escape from the state. Uh, there is no escape from the state. And so whatever you do to live there, uh, if you go live in the woods, that's no different from paying your taxes. You're still making choices you wouldn't otherwise make because of the threat of force. Uh, so given that there's no escape, I choose to stay and speak as much truth as I can. Yeah, it's interesting. That's an interesting idea that presenting people with kind of the other option, the other ethical or moral option is, uh, you know, the, the most important thing. Because, yeah, once they have been presented with that, uh, they are uncomfortable and they have to think about it. I, I'm, and then I'm, they have to make the choice. I really want to have stuff on again for another hour at some point. I don't know if you can stay on now, but, man, I would love to have you on to talk more about this because it seems to me that a, a true, I mean, if you are truly an anarchist in the sense of wanting no government, to say to people there is no escape from government, I think almost ends up undercutting your your position. Because well, I mean, in no, the present, no hope in, in the present, why try? No, no, no. I, I didn't say ever because remember earlier I said that we will outgrow this institution. But in the present, uh, government is ubiquitous. It is everywhere in the world. I guess maybe you could go to the Arctic uh, and and set up and be free from the bureaucratic penguins. I don't know, but uh, you you can't go any place in the civilized world and be free of the power of the state. Uh, that doesn't mean that that will always be the case, but right now uh, there is no escape. Yeah, because they're they're on a pretty good path right now to end themselves, financially at least. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. The the, um, the the crisis is coming, and that's why I think it's important to shoot up as many flares of truth so we can see the true lay of the land. Because people will blame freedom. The government will want to blame freedom, right? Like, what did they say about the 2008 financial crash? The problem was deregulation. <laughs> I mean, there was no such thing as deregulation. Uh, the, the, the banks gave... Uh, millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars to political candidates. Uh, the, the government has massive amounts of control over the financial industry. The SEC did nothing despite repeated warnings that this crash was coming from, you know, many competent Austrian economists and, and professors and so on. Uh, so it was not deregulation, but they just, they need to blame freedom so that they can have an excuse for more power. But I think that they're not going to be able to get more power because what more power could they really want that isn't going to cause economic collapse? The next phase is going to be that they're going to turn on the dependent cows who are draining the system. They're going to turn on the welfare recipients. They're going to turn on the Social Security recipients. And they're going to start talking about austerity and tighten your belts. We've all got to pull together through this crisis. And they're simply going to crash a lot of these programs, which is going to be catastrophic uh, for, for the system and for the people in it. Yeah. A lot of cows are going to... So informative, and you scrambled my brain some more. I'm not sure if I appreciate that or not. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming on. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Don't touch that dial. Fairbanks is listening. 660 AM, KFAR. Fairbanks. <laughs>